Hello, my name is Ben Lindsay, CEO and founder of Power The Fight. And welcome to Power Talk, talks that empower you to impact youth violence in your context. Power Talks are short, powerful interviews from leading youth violence experts, spreading new ideas and sharing best practice. Today we have Andre Harriet, CEO and founder of TLG. And today we're going to be talking about the school to prison pipeline, which impacts so much around the issue of youth violence in the UK. Andre, thank you for joining us, Power Talk. Yes. Um, It's really good to have you here. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay. Um, So Andre Harriet, um, I'm the chief exec and founder of the Liminality Group. Um, And... um, I am a 40-year-old African-Caribbean male who has managed to navigate his way through living in an urban environment without a criminal conviction, uh, which is really important to say, and to be here as a chief exec now, um, trying to approach this from a different aspect. Uh, Why is it important to say that? Because there's so many preconceptions that um, I'm doing this work because my background is I was involved in serious youth violence or group offending or criminality. Uh, That's not my background. Um, I was a musician and still am a musician in the R&B group Damage um, from a very young age. Uh, Worked in the uh, youth offending service for many, many years and then left and set up my own organisation just to try and uh, approach things from um, a different perspective um, and try and focus on the areas where I think I can have the most impact. Uh, so what? So tell us what is TLG. What, so what, what do we do? do? So do? primary task is to try and change the trajectory of young people at risk of being involved in the criminal justice system, yep. and those young people who are currently in the criminal justice system. So what does that look like? We go into schools and we target young people who are um, high harm, high vulnerability, um, or high risk of offending, who have intergenerational offending within their families, um, and the young people generally who if they don't have an intervention in place, they are pretty much on their way to permanent exclusion and maybe an experience in custody. The other arm of the the other part of the organisation is working uh, within the criminal justice system and delivering um, interventions for young people who are currently serving sentences, anything from robbery right through to murder. Um, So we're commissioned by Her Majesty's Prison and Probation Service to deliver offender behaviour programmes, gang mediation programmes, CPD training for staff and access to employment for young people coming home from custody. Wow. So it's two parts of the organisation, early intervention prevention and then the, uh, the, the, the working with the young people who are, um, as I said, in the criminal justice system yep. needing the most support. So this is interesting because yep. it feels like you're at two ends of the spectrum. Absolutely. You've got the, the schools, uh, some may say that's early intervention, Absolutely. and then you've got the complete other end of the spectrum uh, young people who are in the criminal justice system. Absolutely. So there's a phrase which is being banded around in the media, you see it on, on, on social media, yeah. uh, school to prison pipeline. Mm-hmm. And I, I read in this um, report, Home Office report, uh, this quote, this statement, which says, school exclusions have become a leading driver of gang violence with criminals preying on units for excluded pupils and targeting the most vulnerable children. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, is, is this a true statement? Is this something which we're seeing that, you know, these pupil referral units, these PRUs, are kind of like a, a breeding ground for criminals? Uh, what's your thoughts on that? And um, So, first of all, I think what we're doing is importing headlines from America. Right. All right? So... Um, America definitely has 
you know, uh, research the uh, idea of schools to prison pipeline. And I think we're taking those headlines and we're looking at how that's happening here. Um, we can see a correlation between young people who are excluded from school and those young people who end up in custody. Yeah. Um, I say the correlation is there. Probably about 90% of the young people that I work with in custody have been excluded from school. Um, multiple exclusions, or they've been improved, or they've been in alternative education. Um, so there is a connection there, but I think it's too early for us to say that teachers are consciously excluding children, knowing that, right, if I send this kid out, sure. you're going to end up in custody. If we're at that stage, we're in a really bad place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think how some of this happens and how it's happening without people being aware, um, we're excluding about 35 children per day from schools across England and Wales, um, which is about 8,000, 8,500 kids per annum which are excluded from school. So in terms of the context of the population, some may say, well, that's pretty small. But if we think about 8,500 lives and 8,500 children who will then go on to have negative experiences with education in the future, with employment in the future, have a distorted, nihilistic view of the world because they haven't been supported at a key stage, we can see how some of those young people then go on to commit offences um, and then potentially end up in the criminal justice system. Yeah. On top of that, we have um, the, uh, disparity with uh, black and mixed uh, uh, ethnicity boys who are far more likely to be excluded from school than white boys are. Yeah. Um, on top of that, children are being excluded. The, the main time they're excluded is secondary school. So 83% of exclusions happen in the secondary period. So you're thinking about children who are choosing their GCSE options, children who are a key point of adolescence where you are most vulnerable to all the influences. You're trying to work out who you are. You're trying to work out where your career path may go. It's at that point that those children are being excluded. That makes them vulnerable and susceptible to influences from anywhere. Now, if you find yourself excluded from a school and the exclusion could be you set fireworks off in school, which is a really dangerous thing to do because it could significantly uh, harm one of your peers. You find yourself then in a PRU. You come from a home where you've had all the support you could have. Your parents are working tirelessly in fantastic jobs, but you decided to take fireworks into school on that day. You now end up in a PRU around children who have intergenerational offending within their whole environment. Grandparents have been in custody, mums, dad, brothers, sisters, or even not that wide, just an older brother or sister that's been in custody. And those young people have an impact on you. They start to help you understand smarter ways to commit crime or smarter ways to be uh, involved in in, um, uh, poor behaviour. And all of a sudden, to fit in with your peer group within a PRU environment, you start doing things that you wouldn't normally do. Now, PRU timetables are not like school time, mainstream school timetables. So some children are on quite flexible PRU timetables. You turn up at maybe 10 in the morning and you're out at about 2, 2.30. So it's a limited time of education. And really what the PRUs are doing, in my experience, is pretty much just containing the behaviour of some of the most vulnerable children um, who have what we call a a kind of a complex network of unmet needs, right? right. So various needs from mental health issues uh, to uh, coming from uh, high, high rates of a social disadvantage. All of these needs are not being met and a plethora, plethora of other things. You put these children in a PRU and again, once again, they are susceptible to the influence of all people who have, had, um, who have grown up with multiple disadvantage, mm. mental health issues going away all the way through their families and this normal child bringing it back who set fireworks off is now coming on the radar of various agencies. But here's the thing. 
So that makes it makes sense to me because yeah. I can imagine maybe some people watching or listening to this are yeah. thinking, you know what, if I send my kid to school Absolutely. to be educated and, you know, there's children, as you, the example you use, setting up fireworks, mm-hmm. and I want my kid to be educated, of course. well, they should be going somewhere else. And, you know, the fact that they're um, in an environment with other kids, well, that's just that's their responsibility. It's the consequences. Absolutely. So how, what would you say? I mean, are we saying then that this is an unfair system mm-hmm. to put all these young people in one place, mm-hmm. the consequence being that they're now being uh, groomed by like, you know, gangs and stuff like that? Yeah. But what, what are we kind of saying then? What's the alternative? So I, an unfair system, I wouldn't say that. What I would say is that Uh, we have to think about the welfare of the whole population of a school. And if there's three or four children who are involved in activities which is causing alarm and distress to the the majority of the school, a majority of a year, then maybe you do have to be moved on. We both have children. We both understand that. However, maybe we need to think about what we're doing within the pupil referral unit setting. The staff that we have and the interventions that we put in place, uh, maybe there are other agencies who could do some of that work. Uh, I think PRUs and schools, we, we, we put too much onus upon them to do education, um, psychological interventions, be social workers, be mothers, be fathers. Sure. We're asking the organisation of a school to do so much. Maybe we should just say, right, you've been excluded from mainstream school, mm. you're going to get a smaller class group, you're going to have far more intensive education, but we're going to get outside specialists. Yeah who are um, specifically trained in providing interventions for young people who are involved in criminality or at risk of being involved in criminality to support the PRU right. to try and change the thinking and behaviour of those children. But here's another... them to do it all. And I think that's, I think that's a great idea. It's just one solution. Yeah. It's one solution. Yeah. There is uh, another kind of uh, philosophy, mm-hmm. let's say, which is the public health model, Absolutely. which we hear a lot about, which was pioneered in Scotland yeah. around the 2005 mark. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Glasgow having the highest knife crime in Europe. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is that they had zero exclusions. Mm-hmm. Now, I suppose that could mean different things. What does zero exclusion really mean? Did everybody stay in the school? Was there alternate provisions? Yeah. Or was there an exclusion inside the school? Because you can have exclusions internally. It's like managed mood. No, 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 I mean an internal exclusion. So you're, okay. you're not in mainstream lessons, you're placed within a room uh, yeah. with your peers. And that's and helpful. To, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that could also have contributed to them having the no exclusion policy. Yeah. But I haven't read enough around no, it. Yeah. But would you be in favour? I mean, do we, do we think that zero exclusions... I mean, there's a lot of things we can talk about about the public health yes. model in Scotland and how, in my opinion, it's not so much a drag and drop or copy and paste. Mm-hmm. But I think the idea of zero exclusions is something which makes me feel like this could be part of the solution. If we're saying that a kid gets excluded, they end up in a pru, suddenly all these other factors yeah. draw them. Absolutely. Could zero exclusions be part of the solution? Yeah, I think maybe we need to raise the threshold for when children are excluded. I mean, you have individual head teachers who are phenomenal at what they do, and they give children multiple chances. Exclusion is the last thing that they want to do. And then you have some head teachers and some uh, governor boards. I'm a governor on three schools, so I know that the threshold is much lower. So really, you know, small incidents of behaviour can result in exclusion for some children. I, I, I'm not sure. I think there are some children actually who, who are far better suited in smaller classes okay. and in, a, in, a, in an environment which is not, um, 
you know, they're just not impacted by three or four hundred children or a thousand children running around them all day, uh, 35 children in the class just trying to find their way. They, they are better suited in smaller environments. Um, however, when you exclude a child, you don't just exclude them from school, mm. you're excluding them from society, from their peer group, and you're yep. saying to them that you are different. The behavior that you're exhibiting is not, you know, something that we, 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 we're not interested in, it's something that we don't want to, um, you know, kind of uh, support moving forward. We're not really interested in the needs that you have, we're yep. saying that your behavior is resulting in exclusion. Yep. Going back to your point about grooming and gangs at that point, you're going to find multiple people involved in organized criminal networks, gangs, serious youth violence, yeah. group offending, who have had similar experiences. So let's talk about the other end of the spectrum. Then. So you also do work in prisons. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, what is that like? What are the, We all have stereotypical views and generalized views of what these young people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or not even young people, anyone that goes to prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never been to prison, similar to you, I haven't got a criminal record. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked in prisons, I've, I've seen, but... Tell us the type of people you are working with. I mean, you know, the, the media will make them out to be animals. So we're working with children. Right. And I, I like the word that you've just used, people. We're working with children. The only point they stop being a child is when they hit their 18th birthday. By age, chronologically, they're no longer children. Right. But psychologically, many of them still are children, even if they're 19, 20 years old. Yeah. So we're working with children who, many of them, again, have not met the threshold for interventions from agencies within the community. So then what happens is their needs, as I said earlier, are unmet. We're not going to take responsibility away from the children who commit heinous offences or just commit offences in general. But what we see in our work is a theme which runs through. So exclusion from school is a main one. Experience of domestic violence is a main one. Significant experiences of trauma watching friends, holding friends as they take their last breaths, under the age of 15. Um, Being uh, uh, victims of violence within the home, outside of the home. Mm. Um, Children who come from uh, high levels of social disadvantage. We are talking about going to school with no breakfast. We are talking about um, being unable to purchase shoes for school. We're talking about children who cannot afford to wash their shirts on a daily basis. We are talking about, and this isn't all, but these are the experiences that we see running through the children we work with in custody. We're working at the moment, as I sit here today, with a group of 10 young men, and um, half of those young men are in custody for attempted murder and murder. Uh, In the past two years or three years, we have seen a significant increase in young people coming into the criminal justice system for murder and being handed down sentences, rightfully so, longer than the years they've spent on earth. So you're 15 or 16 years old, you're given a 17, 18, 9 year sentence, 17, 18 or 19 year sentence or a 21 year sentence. You cannot even process what you're about to endure. However, there's been a victim of your offense and we understand that you have to pay the price for what you've done. But I go back to my original point, Ben, they are children and many of them have had such negative experiences mm. of the society that we live in, they've become children on the fringes of that society yeah. who then become susceptible to being groomed, as you said, yeah. by older peers or by peers generally. Yeah. 
they, they don't feel there is anybody there to protect and care for them. So they've created their own, what I call street psychologists, street sociolo- um, sociologists, street social workers, street pastors. Yeah. These are just people in their local areas that are providing interventions because these children cannot meet the threshold for the statutory services to work with them. So you see all of these themes running through, and then we meet the child at the end of the line in custody, and we go, why was this stuff not picked up earlier? I am not taking anything away from you about the offence you've committed, because you have to hold responsibility for that. But are you serious that from the age of five you were neglected, severely neglected? Are you telling me that at the age of 14 you've been travelling around the UK and nobody's been trying to find you while you've been involved in selling drugs all, all over the place? Are you telling me that when you held your friend and they, they, they took their last breaths after being, you know, mutilated on the street by people that they have problems with, you had no form of counselling or any form of um, psychological intervention to support you after that? You're, you're at the end of the line. It's, it's too, you shouldn't be here. It's too late. And what you're talking about is all the things we, we don't see and we don't hear. Absolutely. So if you're the average punter on the street, you're yeah. seeing these crimes and you're seeing these, uh, these hard sentences coming down. And you see the headlines. And you see the headlines. Which justify the sentences. Absolutely, yes. but what you... I always say that it's one of these things where the, anybody caught up in youth violence, that is always the consequence. It's never the cause. But we never think that way. Absolutely. So what are some of the things which... So, you know, you're working with young people, yeah. children, yeah. in a prison yeah. system. Up to the age of 18. Up to the age of 18. Yeah. Children. Children. Yeah. So, but what type of things, then, are you kind of talking to these young people about? Uh, what are some of the success stories that we, we've seen? Because I think it's important. We don't, we don't always hear no, about the, the good things which people like yourself and other people you're working yeah. with do. So I think it's important. So what is it that we do in custody? So primarily, um, in our offending behaviour work, it's about helping young people to think about the past, to restory their past, which is a great phrase I got from um, Mm. Dr. Martin Glynn. Um, Yes, and to also think about um, restoring their future. So what has gone on in the past? Why did it go on? Um, What are the things that were yours? And what were the things that were out of your control? Um, so a prime example would be having a young person who's there for, again, a serious offence and them dealing with the idea of, am I evil? Am I somebody that has committed such a heinous offence that I'm an evil person? And once you, once you take that young person back and you start to look, you know, just chronologically from your earliest memory to where you are now, can you see the areas where you were failed so that you can stop holding things which are not yours? And then also to think about... Um, how we link that young person to specialist interventions. So can you get support from uh, clinical staff without thinking that if I engage with somebody looking at what's going on for me psychologically, I'm crazy, I'm nuts. No, it's normal. If you have harmed somebody, if you've taken somebody's life, even if you've been involved in a robbery uh, and you caused harm to the victim, it's normal to want to process those feelings and those thoughts. We help them to understand the the impact they have on the victim, but also the impact that they have on their friends and their family. Every family member is riding the same sentence as you are. We look at the criminal justice system as a whole and how that's developed over maybe the past 20, 30 years and how we've arrived at this place. We're at a watershed moment now with our young people where, as you and I know, know, we're we're 90s children, so we came out of education in the 1990s. The 1990s was a defining moment for gang culture in the United Kingdom. So we are now working with the children of the parents that we went to school with. So whatever experiences that we had 
How have we felt towards the police, or we felt about crime, or we felt about high levels of unemployment? Yeah. A lot of that has been transmitted through to the younger generation. Yeah. I haven't gone anywhere near the developments of social media and how that has transformed the way young people consume information. Yeah. I'm saying all of this to say you can no longer go and sit with a young person using models from 20 years ago. Your models have to be responsive to the needs of this generation, yep. which means you have to import various different things in order to help them process what's going on. And I'm really glad you said that, because I think one of the things which we're trying to do at Power to Fight is what I call uh, cross-fertilization. Mm -hmm. So bringing in different networks, different people from uh, different walks of life to say this isn't just uh, the, the problem of the youth offending service this isn't just the problem of the community safety team. This isn't just the problem of the police. Everybody has a part to play if one can be empowered. So my last question to you would be, um, if you are a, uh, an average member of the community, if you are part of a community group, if you're part of a faith group, if you're part of a church, if you're an arts organisation, what is it can, can, can we convey do in, in, in part to try and help reduce this issue of youth violence, specifically from the, your perspective. I'm just wondering, you know, obviously you've worked in schools and prisons, but is there stuff which, you know, Look, can I, be empowered I, I said do? earlier, I spent nearly eight and a half years working in a youth offending service mm. in London. Um, and that was a key moment, because it was from 2005 right up to 2012, 2013, yeah. when, again, youth violence had really started to pick up. There had been a, 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 a swelling from the ground of young people becoming involved in the drug market, yep. carrying of weapons, yep. and the harming of other children. Um, so uh, the things that I think need to be done primarily, number one, is viewing these children as all of our children. All right? That's so easy to say. A lot of my peers, a lot of my friends work in fantastic jobs, have beautiful homes, beautiful families. This does not affect them. So the only time we sit down and we sharing what we've done at work, we have a... 10, 15 minute window to hear what I do because it becomes quite emotionally draining. Yeah, yeah. And then we can talk for half an hour about what everybody else does because it's all fluffy and lovely. I think I can relate to all right. That. Yeah. So the first thing is to recognize that the children coming through the criminal justice system and the children who are most at risk of violence or involved in violence, the perpetrators, are children mm. who have come through our society and for some reason, they some feel unloved, feel uncared for have, uh, again, a nihilistic view about the world, uh, do not see a, a problem in harming one of their peers, they do not value life in the same way, and we have to try and address some of those things in the thinking and behaviour of those children. What can places like the church do and some of the other um, uh, charities or other sectors you've spoken about? Let's take the veil off of being um, so judgmental about families who need to come in to a church environment. If a family is experiencing domestic violence, they need to be able to come in without judgment and say, we have an issue with domestic violence within our home. We have an issue with substance misuse within our home. We have an issue with historical abuse within our home. Uh, we're unable to eat. Last night, we, we didn't have any food um, around a family of six. Can the church help? Because all of these things which, we, you know, contribute to young people saying, there's nobody there to help me and I need to go out and do this myself. It contributes to parents saying, I can't tell anybody what I'm truly going through because I will be judged. Mm. So we need to open up places like the church, which Christ would have asked us to be able to do. Everybody come in and say, whatever your issue is, we're going to listen and we're going to try and support. Because within a church, you do know you have some of the leading psychologists, 
some of the leading gang experts, some of the leading businessmen and businesswomen, some of the best doctors, all in the congregation, all coming at 9am, leaving at 11am and going back to their lives. What about if we just dedicated the whole service to saying, put your hand up if you need some help? I think that is absolutely a, a, such an amazing provocation. Yeah. I think that is something which all faith groups, absolutely. all organisations should be thinking. Um, and I think it's a great place to stop. Yeah, um, but can I throw in one more thing? Of course you can. Uh, it's just to say that I'm aware that this is not a concern for everybody. The only time it becomes an issue is when we see, you know, um, high levels of youth violence on the street and the, the, the media run at it and then the, um, the government, uh, you know, bring a knee-jerk response or a response yeah. to quell some of the fears of the public. Um, my organisation, what we do is not for everybody. It's not for everybody. So that's fine. But then the organisations that are out there who have been quality assured and we know what they're doing, Give them the space and the resources to do what they're doing because this space is not for everybody. Yeah. Some people want to sleep at night without having to think about these things. That's not a problem. But myself and my team, we do think about these things. Yeah. We are specialists in what we do. Yeah. And success stories you'd mentioned earlier, numerous young people, numerous young people have come through the uh, criminal justice system and are no longer offending. Of course. Can we give a stat on that? So out of the uh, young people we worked with in 2015 to 2016, we followed them for a 12-month period and 58% had not re-offended who had come through our programme. That's no further, no cautions, no warnings, no reprimands, they had not re-offended. If one young person goes on to commit a serious offence, let's say a murder, it can cost us upward of, upwards of a million pounds from the taxpayer's purse. I heard it was actually 3.2 million. Oh, I heard 1.2. Oh, so it's gone up, it's 3.2 million. Wow. So let's go 3.2 million pounds yep. for one young person who's committed a murder. Yep. That's the criminal justice side. It does not take into what it costs to keep them in custody. Yep. So if it costs whatever it does for our organisation to, to deliver an intervention, yep. it's a fraction a tiny fraction of what we spend. Yeah. So we should be spending more money on the things that we know work. Why does it work? Not because Andre says it works, mm. because there's about 500 young men who have come through custody or yeah. are still in custody saying, that service yeah. between the Liminality Group and my partner organisation, Pi, mm. that's work for me. Yeah. And I think there's something about, and I don't think it's any coincidence mm -hmm. or a mistake that people like yourself uh, like me and others who understand the context, Absolutely. were brought up in the context, Absolutely. are now delivering in the context. Yeah, and absolutely. I think the more people who can support kind of grassroots, mm -hmm. not just organisations, but people who really know what they're talking about yeah. um, uh, from a variety of the sector, I think will be, it's going to be necessary and needed yeah. for us to actually deal with this issue. Yeah. Andre, pleasure. We can talk for so long. Yeah, no, no, and, I, and it's, it's just really. We can talk for I, so long. I, honestly, I appreciate your, your time. Pleasure. I think um, I've learned a lot. Hopefully, other people have learned a lot. All good. And yeah, God bless you, man. Bless you.